Charles, uh, you you point out that, or or you say that when we're baptizing for the dead, we're never more like Jesus than in that moment. It's like I need to change my uh, angle. Um, would you also say the same thing? Because I've I've heard your discussion that's very food based. Would you also say the same thing about you're never more like Jesus than when you're feeding the sheep? literally, as in when you're giving food to someone? Or do you feel like there's something about the ritual experience that makes it more like Jesus? What was school? Well, I, you know, I, um, a lot of my students at, at Tufts tell me that they're not religious, but they immediately say but I am spiritual and I think a lot about what that means and what I think is happening uh, generally is that uh, what what's happening is that people are rejecting this sort of the symbolic packaging of of the spirit they don't reject the spirit but they reject the way that it's been kind of packaged for them, presented. And and I think that that's a really good sign because what it means is that they're saying that, they're not saying that you're taking something that is false and making it true. They're saying quite the opposite. They're saying to us, you've taken something that is true and you've made it false. And that falseness is what they reject. And I say to them, good for you. You should. And the falseness uh, of the symbolic packaging needs to fall away. So when you ask me uh, if it's a a matter between one being a ritual and one not being a ritual, then I'm not sure sure what to say, Sterling. But I I guess what I want to say is that on the level of being you know, a good person, followers of Jesus, uh, everything is, I don't want to say everything is, I want to say everything is a non-symbol rather than a symbol. That everything, every ritual itself is also, a, at, at the deepest level, is a non-symbolic act that we're making, you know, that feeding, like eating, like being baptized, they're all in my mind, they're all kind of the same thing. Ex- it's, it, yeah, yeah. It's it's by man, you know, part of this human experience, and not separated out. And yeah, it, it's the human experience that people are now referring to as the post-human, right? Um, so we're 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 going beyond. We're going beyond the human-centered to a world that is more, you know, leveled. You know, Sterling and I were hunting along the Dover Canal, and we were talking about these topics. And I, I said to him that the question today is not uh, if women have the priesthood. The question is whether frogs have the priesthood. <laughs> Do you remember that, Sterling? So, I'm 
I appreciated because I was thinking about the contrast, and I'm going to go back to what I think you did today, Charles. The uh, we ended at the words "feed my sheep" in the scriptural part, not in your words, "feed my sheep." And I just thought, as you did that, most often when I hear that verse interpreted, it goes to deliver the gospel, or um, or the sacrament, the tokens. Um, and you didn't let us do that. You stayed with the cookie or the energy bar. And I, that, that to me, it was the message. Uh, you not going to the symbolic, but staying with the cookie. Um, and, uh, I, I, that to me is, is, is your whole, your whole lesson today is to stay with the cookie. <laughs> well, you know, Brother Reese, who gave one of these doctrinal talks earlier, that's what he's all about, I think. You know, he's all about getting people enough to eat. And I think that's I think that's a wonderful thing. I uh I had an interesting experience. I have ancestry that is Moravian, and I went to a family reunion and uh, in Pennsylvania, so they're Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, and I had never been to a Moravian church before. And what was so interesting to me was that for the sacrament, uh, we actually got rolls. We got things that were substantial, so it wasn't just symbolic food. They handed around rolls and coffee, um, and it kind of changed my perception of sacrament uh, because it showed that that that's sort of symbolic food uh, is actually a food and water their their faith is centered around the beatitudes uh, as I understand it So I love that, um, you know, so you suggested, well, you know, maybe we could have, well, maybe we should have a stash of energy bars, you know, in the baptistry, but that wouldn't actually be what we need. Like we don't need vending machines. We don't need a stash, but we need a community where people are asking, recognizing their needs, um, uh, responding to those needs finding within themselves and and working together with others who are around them to to pr provide for for those needs and that it's kind of the asking and the kind of searching that you did within the temple to supply this physical human need um that was kind of the the beauty and the connection that that kind of came from that and the Anyway, so so again, like we can't just have a stash of energy bars. We can't have vending machines. <laughs> um, but maybe we should. Maybe we should. I mean, I you had you one sort of offhand comment, Charles, that I objected to. So I'm going to push back a little bit. Was um, maybe these young people can't understand or can't get what we're talking about here, and that and that. It, it jarred me a little bit because I thought, aren't you 
right there in the baptistry. Aren't you in delivering that energy part? Aren't you teaching that lesson? And aren't they getting it? I mean, that, yeah, that young man is hungry. Those young people are being baptized. And if they had this kind of conversation, wouldn't they be getting it right there in the, in the physicality of the experience? Uh, I, um, yeah, I'm, I think I misspoke. I think, I think you're right, Chris, that when you get it, um, I wanted, as we were sitting there in the confirmation room, I wanted to, I wanted to say to them all, you'll, you'll never be more like Jesus than you are right now. Um, but I didn't, actually, I didn't think it would be appropriate for some reason. <clears throat> but uh, that's an interesting point. We, 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 we let, sort of let it run, right? We let it run, we let it happen. And then, then, you know, 30 years later, if you <laughs> act on all those things you did as a young woman or a young man, uh, you know, you, you wonder what, what kind of seeped in and what didn't. Uh, I don't know. Um, I say that, Chris, because I'm an old guy and I'm, and I'm learning stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, would, I, would, I wish you'd said that. I don't know what kind of training or lessons you have about the baptistry and afterward, but um, I remember having the same kind of thought about myself in with respect to some experiences in the temple and thinking, I know I'm supposed to be just listening and taking it in, but this experience is putting me physically in the place of, I am working through, I am acting out, I am participating. And it's, it's an experience that is happening or is it teaching on a different level than the than the words and the vision and the images it's uh it's it's i mean standing sitting touching it, there's there's important things happening here that are teaching me at a at a at a level i will never forget mm. Charles, one thing I, I feel like you're teaching us here, and, and let me jump off from your comment about women and frogs having the priesthood. I think your point there was that where normally we might think of the priesthood as being restrained to this particular experience and gender and, and assignment, instead, it, uh, the light of Christ, she is everywhere around us and in us, and we should recognize that and experience it. Here I am in my backyard, I'm hearing nuthatches and goldfinches and red-winged blackbird, and, and it's in those, it's in us. And it's also, you're, you're pointing out, every experience is an opportunity for that. So it's not the, the sterile theological ritual where we find it, it's in the experience of eating, of sharing. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. See, the thing, the thing, don't let me, don't let me get carried away here, but the, the thing about symbolic expression is that it's deceptive. It's fundamentally 
a deception because symbols symbols work by making us think that we share them. You know, a flag goes down the street, we all do, and now we all do this. But if you ask each person, what does a flag mean to you, you would get a different answer. Because the reality is that we're all different. You know, we all experience things differently. But the thing about symbols is that they kind of mask over that difference. And and we gain unity because of that. But it's it's a unity that um I hate to say it, it's it's kind of a fictive unity rather than a real unity. The real unity would be, I think, um you know, eating this, eating something together. Everybody realizing how dependent they are on the things that are put before them. That's the one thing that we all have in common, you know. Otherwise, you know, we're right of center, left of center, you know. You like espresso or you don't. But what, what, what one thing that we do share is that we all take things from the world, you know. And I think that the the the, the wonder of Jesus's teachings is that he he grounds his teachings so thoroughly in the material world, you know, almost at each turn. Um, the fig the fig tree one, for example, is amazing. You know, uh, walking on the water is another one. You know, wine water made into wine. And on and on and on, the fishes, the loaves of bread. It's all, it's about, you know, it's about what we share. What we share is, we share things. We don't share ideas. So it, 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 go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a continually kind of, you know, regrounding of, um, of the spirit and connecting it to the human experience, to this shared human experience and the things and the um, around us. Uh, I, yeah. It occurs to me that... I love thinking about that. I just yeah, love occurs, thinking about that. It occurs to me that there that there's, a, there's something of a split in my experience between people who talk about think about Jesus's message as about getting to the next world in good shape and about versus um, making this world a better place. And if you have the, depending on which of those ways you're reading uh, the message, um, you hear this lesson a different way. You hear this conversation a different way. If you're, uh, if, if the message is all about getting to the next world in good shape, um, you want to make it all symbolic. You want to make it all intellectual. Um, that's my read anyway. But if you're, if you're, if you think the message is about making this world a better place, um, it, it's, it's just very tangible, very physical, very, um, you know, the walking on the water is, 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 is this world. And, uh, so is the wine and so is the fig tree. Yeah, and walking through the wheat field, you and you're hungry. You you eat. You don't wait for the next day for the next iteration of whatever it is. You can be filled now 
right. for the or for for our, for the Sabbath to be over, for the for the for the sacred day to be over, so that you can then eat in this world. You 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 eat now. Yeah, that's yeah yep. yeah. There's you know not this separation of you know this is holy, this is unholy. It can all be made to to yeah to fulfill the the hungers the the multiple hungers which which makes the image of eating that bar in the temple i that's that's sort of the perfect setting to to tell this story to make this it it's it's the perfect challenge of you know, no we don't eat in the temple well well yeah maybe we should <laughs> so within uh within my uh, world of medicine. Uh, I'm a physician. There's this idea that there's the mind and the body and specialties are kind of broken up. So there's, you know, there's say the psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, there's a surgeon. These are the kind of extreme um, versions uh, of this kind of mind and body oriented practice. And when I was in training in family medicine, which tries to bridge that gap to a degree, uh, I often thought, you know, I, I made a bad choice because I should have done something that would give me either I'm the surgeon and dealing with the body and I could see concrete results there, or I should have done the mind and psychiatry and, and you know, really worked with people intellectually. And uh, one day I had a patient come in and she had a, an infected foot. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, that's a very concrete thing. And I, I kind of kneeled down on the ground and I, I took her foot in my hand to take a look at it. And I was just holding her foot for a while. And she started to have some kind of spiritual type of experience, something that I think of as spiritual. And then she started to sort of bear her soul and and speak her life uh, to me. And that lesson really taught me that my way of dividing up uh, spirit and body was um, skewed uh, and that it's not really through symbols necessarily that we um, heal our souls. So were you holding her foot this whole time that she was talking to you? I held her foot for some time, probably for 20 or 30 seconds until it seemed, well, this is, you know, maybe that's a little awkward. And then, and then we just sat and I didn't talk to her about anything, but then for a while, we were just looking at each other uh, uh, for quite a while. Um, and um, it was a very powerful experience. Uh, but then we we talked about things and I gave her a prescription for a antibiotic and she went on her way. Charles, can I ask you a question? Uh, 
In Chinese and Japanese cultures, the concept of ancestor, respect for ancestors, sometimes referred to as ancestor veneration, ancestor worship is, is important. And to some extent, you could see baptism for the dead as being a Mormon instance of ancestor veneration, perhaps ancestor worship. Uh, what are your thoughts on how Mormon ancestor veneration is either solving for the same concerns or problems as in the Asian cultures and how they're different? Wow. That, that's a question that gets right to the heart of my heart of my heart. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sometimes wonder why my parents let me and Dwight and Dylan and Annie and Warren and Charlotte join the church, you know, because they weren't, they weren't Mormons, they were Buddhists. And I often use the the excuse that Salt Lake Temple, you know, the Buddhist temple was, you know, over two hours away. It was an impractical thing to do. So the practical thing to do was to drop us off at the church every Sunday and, and leave us there for a couple hours. But, you know, on the whole, the, the reason my parents were afraid of the church was because they were afraid that if we became Christian, we would lose our connection to our ancestors. But what happened, quite to everybody's surprise, I think, is that by becoming Latter-day Saints, we became infinitely more connected with our ancestors than we ever would have been. And it happened in different ways. For one thing, you know, we all of all of all of us got sent to Japan on missions. So we all learned how to speak Japanese and we all learned that there is this part of the world where people look like us, you know. But it's also, I think, a part of the the doctrines of the church that are reinforcing uh, the sort of the the lessons that my family felt were a part of their culture, you know, including filial piety. I think, you know, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, um, you know, LDS children respect their parents. Um, I think they're um, physically closer to their parents than Asian uh, families. Um, but that might be just a cultural thing. It might be kind of European, more a European thing than a Latter-day Saint thing. I'm not sure. Um, but I think we're basically starting, I think we're barking up the same tree you know, we're, we're trying to learn about our ancestors, care about them, respect them, carry on the things they taught us. Uh, you know, I have I have this Buddhist altar in my house because none of my none of my siblings wanted it. You know, um, but 
it's it's I think you know admittedly it's strange to have a Buddhist altar if you're a Latter Day Saint, but I actually feel no feel no um, conflict about it. Maybe I'm just hedging my bets. You know, trying to... Well, it seems it seems strange, but also not strange at all. Um, and that in both um, in both traditions, like um, we take our ancestors seriously in the connections that we have to them, um, and that in both there's um, you know rituals and practices that that bring together um, you know the past and present um, in our in our lives. It occurred to me, for example, that um, we don't, uh, in Salt Lake City, they actually do have a, a bon odori, a, a bon dance. I don't know if you know this, but if you go there in August, downtown by the Salt Palace, I don't think they call it Salt Palace anymore, but the, the, the Buddhist church there has a dance, and it's open to the public, so everybody can go. Um but um, LDS culture, I don't think we have anything like a Day of the Dead, do we? Anything like a celebration of the, the, our ancestors? Pioneer Day, perhaps. Pioneer, yeah. Yeah, we could... Yeah, kind of a reconfiguration of Pioneer Day that, I mean, we do, uh, and all the things that go along with that too, like the the reenactment of track, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, maybe we could see that as uh, uh, more, as a different type of practice that brings... Um, it's like a kind of day of the dead, like you are. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the one of the subtleties that I wrestle with. I mean, I have some of these thoughts and questions way back in my mission experience in in Korea, um, where there's many of the same tradition and 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 pattern of uh, ancestor veneration or worship. I'm I'm thinking of the Korean words, but the, uh, that, that challenge that we have this in our Western society is a making of our ancestors, um, heroes or little gods. And, uh, you see it when people get very troubled by, uh, an historical reference that says, well, he wasn't all that, I mean, there were some flaws there. There were some things I'm embarrassed by, but that that embarrassment suggests we made of the ancestor a a little god rather than a real human being to be respectful and to venerate, but not to worship. And uh, that's, I, I mean, I think that's a line that we have to continually wrestle with. I don't think it's, I don't think, you get a, an extreme, I, I don't think you want to go to an extreme in either direction, but clearly the, the veneration turned into worship is, is a direction uh, to avoid. 
interesting. Well, I, I revere your grandpa for sure. <laughs> I was I was see I was asked about that the other day. Um of what 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 do you feel about a burden of the past of, uh, or a a plus? And and I reflected on that very fact that I um revere, reverence, respect is all good, but I but that isn't the same thing as saying he was a perfect man or everything he ever said, I just adopt as my, there's, there's, I want to remember him as a real person. I want to remember him as a grandfather and not as a, uh, uh, actually that's, that's as clear as I could get was I want to think of and remember him as a grandfather. I ate bread and milk Sunday evening with and not as a man standing at the pulpit general conference. Those are, that's a, those are, I, that's important to me. That distinction is important to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we have opportunities to en engage with our ancestors in ways that um, make them real and human. So I think about like the family history work where, um, you know, you try to document through uh, census records, through birth and death records, through a gravestone, like locating them in time and place and an actual like, you know, concrete, here's where they lived on the, you know, 1860 census <laughs> or um, that, 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 that kind of, you know, record keeping and searching um, provides opportunities to engage with them as real people and con to, to consider like their lives and in, in their complexity complexity um and in kind of physical space and not just in the heavens does that make sense i think i think if there is a you know a, a dark side to confucianism as 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 understood and practiced by most people it would be this kind of uh, you know pa patriarchal worship uh, which is which can be to toxic, I think. It can be very, it can be very oppressive. Yeah. And I don't think that's what we Latter-day Saints want, you know, when we talk about our hearts turning to our fathers and mothers. I think it's, um, in, in my mind, it's, it's kind of largely, you know, it is forgiving, you know, my parents for the times that they did X, Y, and Z, you know, when they shouldn't have, or on the other hand, it's, it's my thankfulness for the times when they did, you know, A, B, and C, and it's, it's both of that, both of those things, I think, you know, but um, I have to say that, you know, my my whole life has been, I've been led by the nose, by the spirit of Elijah. He's just sort of, you know, guided guided me from one project to the next without my even knowing it. Until kind of recently. Will you say more about that? <laughs> well, you know, 
when I read, I wrote that memoir of my life, my uh, Zion or Zen Sky book, that was totally, you know, kind of not my idea. It was just the idea that, you know, was put into my hand, you know. But that's true of so many things. In fact, I've come to the point where um, I don't write much anymore unless it comes to me in that fashion. You know, it doesn't come to me as, this is what I want you to write <laughs> next. Then I just don't bother. I just don't bother. Because, because now I know, okay, I'm being, I'm kind of being used, but that's okay. I don't mind being used. I'll be used if it's, you know, going to, to be good for other people. And so I'm, I'm sort of playing that hand now, but, um, yeah, I, I have this very close relationship with my grandfather that, um, has colored everything that I do, you know. He was my babysitter, but we never spoke. We never had a conversation. I, I learned Japanese so I could talk to him, and he refused to speak to me. Uh, I later learned that he spoke English fluently. Uh, but for some reason, my grandfather never wanted to have a conversation with me. I, I don't know. I can't figure that one out. Um, part of it was because, you know, when the, when they put his family in prison, he, he vowed that he would never speak English again. Uh, but that doesn't answer the question of, you know, I learned Japanese. Why, why couldn't he speak to me then? He, he still didn't, he still didn't speak Japanese or anything to me really. But even without speaking, we had this very kind of deep understanding of things. Yeah. There are all kinds of things on chat. I don't know. Are we supposed to get to these questions? There are really some interesting ones. What's the thing? Yeah, if there's, uh, if there's anything you want to pull out. While you peruse those, Charles, let me just point out for Randall Paul, he makes a point that you just described and, and also uh, Chris in talking about reverence versus um, worship of ancestors. He he says that gratitude, not worship, is the prime move there. Yeah, yeah. Leave it to Rand, Rand, Randy to have a clarifying opinion. Uh, Linda Andrews. <laughs> Hi, Linda. Um, Carolyn Melby, Christ is the Relief, the Relief Society idea from the last conference, melts into these thoughts. Thank you. Very important. As a humanitarian worker in places where people are hungry, both physically and spiritually, I recognize the need to feed physically. And now Christ, uh, like that act is, how Christ-like that act is. And the idea of partnering with the Savior to provide both temporal and spiritual relief that of the type that's reflected over and over again in the in the New Testament. 
Thank you so much for this is from Jane Braithwaite. Thank you so much for your thoughts. I live in New Mexico. One fourth of our population is food insecure. And we have many hungry children. I am blessed to be able to work with politicians and programs trying so hard to help with this issue. Word. Well. All right. Well, we also don't need to keep you all day. <laughs> this fun. Thank as, you. As much as I'm enjoying this conversation. So, um, so maybe we should go ahead and if you have any last thoughts you want to share. Well, everybody's invited to come to my house and see my, my Zen garden, which now has Sterling, uh, a water feature. I'm putting in a stream and uh, a cart, a koi pond. Oh, wow. <laughs> come and come and spend some quiet time at my at my house. You're all welcome. <laughs> so, so again, that um, you know, I'm struck by the like the physical, you know, having the physical space in the here and now. Um, as you know, a link to spiritual um, practice and um, an opening. So, thank you. Well, I I just want to I I want to make one last comment, and then this I think Charles will chuckle. When I sat with my grandfather Sunday evening having bread and milk, literally, he got. A spoonful of raspberry jam in his bread and milk. We got no sweetener. <laughs> oh, that's great, Chris. And and thank you all. Your cousin, your cousin Mac. Um, yeah, Mac. He was he was in my mission. In, uh, when when your grandpa came to Japan to visit the saints in Japan. So he made a detour and came to our visit in our mission. When I got to actually sit next to him and and um, feel his vibe and and the thing is, um, when I met your grandpa and felt his vibe, I said to myself, "You've got nothing to worry about, Charles, because you can only become like this." after a lifetime of effort, right? I mean, I could tell it. He was... <laughs> well, that, that, that makes me remember during my mission, um, Spencer Kimball, President Kimball, came to Korea and Japan, but he came to Korea in an area conference. And my mission president, Hanin Sang, took me aside. We were, we were not in the same area. I mean, we were in the South and he was, all the activities were in Seoul. And my president took me aside and said, your assignment for the next four days is to travel up to Seoul and to stay as close to your grandfather as he will let you. <laughs> because, I mean, I think that was wonderful for me, but he said, because the Korean people understand this 
um, family, ancestor, this kind of, and they will like to see that this man is a grandfather and that that that's a kind of respect that is important. Cool. Yeah. Okay, now I'm really done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Charles, thank you so much. Uh Greetings. My name is Rebecca Deschweinitz, and I'm thrilled to serve as a board member at the Dialogue Foundation and as one of the hosts of Dialogue Gospel Study. In each episode, which we record live the second and fourth Sunday of every month, we welcome esteemed speakers from a variety of backgrounds to share their insights and perspectives on the Come Follow Me lessons. Our aim is to spark meaningful conversations about the scriptures, to connect them to our personal experiences and to our understandings and explorations of the gospel. To stay in the loop with our upcoming lessons and this opportunity to engage with Mormon thought, culture, and belief, be sure to visit DialogueJournal.com and sign up for our newsletter. By doing so, you'll receive updates and timely links to join our live stream lessons. Additionally, you can catch up on our past guests and episodes by subscribing to Dialogue Journal on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.